the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Joshua. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. What he's saying here is that the full extent of their sin and rebellion has not yet reached the place of judgment. How long does God wait until he brings judgment upon them? 400 years. How long should God wait for you to get your act together? Is 400 years enough time? How much time is enough? And so for 400 years, God waits for the Amorites, for the Canaanites, for the people who occupy the promised land to surrender to him. And they don't. As we go through the book of Joshua, it can be hard to reconcile the fact that a loving God ordered Joshua to go and wipe out all these other nations. The reality is that God was so patient with these people, He gave them 400 years to repent and stop worshiping false idols. In today's message, Pastor Gary will be sharing about God's patience with us. When we read these stories, we should see the characteristics of God. We know that He is patient. But there will also come a point where we have to answer to Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. God will use Joseph while he's there in Egypt to provide for his long-lost family, the Israelites, the Hebrew people who were still living in Israel at the time. And so God would put it on the heart of Joshua and bless him with wisdom and grace and, uh, sorry, on, on, in Joseph, the life of Joseph, and bless him with wisdom and grace to be able to stockpile food and resources for seven years because God showed Joseph that there will be seven years of famine. So save during the times of feast because there are times of famine that come. They're very sick. Life is very cyclical. So when the famine and the drought came upon Israel, the descendants of Jacob made their way down to Egypt for survival. And the Bible says that there were roughly 70. That's the whole nation of Israel at the time. Jacob, his 12 sons, their descendants, 70 people in all went down to Egypt and they were rescued and they were reunited with their long lost that they thought at this point was dead son and brother Joseph, who provided for them and took care of them. There was this wonderful reunion and restoration and reconciliation between brothers who had offended each other. And so the Jewish people were provided for and protected because of God's providential plan through Joseph as they went down to Egypt. Those same 70 people over a course of 400 years will become a couple million people in Egypt. Now, why didn't they go back? They didn't go back because... The Pharaoh in the days of Joseph 
who originally was favorable towards Joseph's family, dies. The succeeding pharaohs of Egypt were not favorable towards the Jewish people. Instead, saw them as an opportunity to enslave them and use them as free slave labor. And so the succeeding pharaohs enslaved the Jewish people, used them as free slave labor. They were cruel to them, as any form of slavery is. And over the next 400 years, the Jewish people multiplied while living as slaves in Egypt. But the Bible says that their cries went out to God. And God heard their cries after those 400 years. And then he sends Moses as the deliverer to lead the Hebrew slaves out of slavery in Egypt back to the promised land that they had vacated some 400 years earlier. And so God uses, as many of you know, a series of 10 plagues against the Pharaoh of Egypt and against the Egyptians to finally get them to let the Hebrew slaves go. And so off they go. And on their way to the promised land, the Jewish people rebel against God. They rebel against Moses as God's leader. And so God punishes them. And he punishes them by causing them an entire generation to die in the desert. You disobey me, you don't want the promised land, you whine, you complain, then you can die right here in the desert. And over a course of the next 40 years, basically Moses led the people in a circle in the Sinai Peninsula until an entire generation died, with the exception of two people, Joshua and Caleb. Because among the 12 spies that Moses sent into the promised land, when they were right on the border of the promised land, Moses sent 12 spies into the promised land. Let's spy out the land. Let's see what we're facing. You know, there there are giants in the land. There are people who have been living in the land since we vacated it. We're going to have to take the land back. Out of the 12 spies, only Joshua and Caleb believed God. Yeah, we can take the land. God has given it to us. We can go in. We can advance. The other 10 did not believe God. The Bible says spread a bad report among the Jewish people. And so the Jewish people didn't believe God. They rebelled against God. They rebelled against Moses. And God said, fine, only Joshua and Caleb from this generation will go into the promised land. The rest of you will die. Your children will go in with Joshua and Caleb. An entire generation dies. The next generation goes in with Joshua to the promised land. This is that Joshua. And he is called by God to be Moses' successor, to lead the people into the promised land. There's a beautiful type here. There's a beautiful picture here, by the way. Moses represents the law. He was used by God to pen the first five books of our Bible, known as the Pentateuch, the Torah. This This is the law of God. Joshua's name is Yahashua, meaning the Lord is salvation. He's a picture of Jesus. He's a picture of grace. The law was not sufficient to lead the people into the promised land. Only by grace, only by Jesus can we get into the promised land. So Joshua is this picture. He's this type. He's this portrayal of Jesus who leads us into the promised land. Now, it's an imperfect parallel because when they get into the promised land, there are giants that need to be dealt with. There, there, are, there are adversaries that have to be dealt with. You know, the ultimate promised land for us, there are no adversaries. There, you know, there, there is no enemy. It's our ultimate reward in heaven, and we only get there through Jesus. So it's an imperfect parallel, but it is a picture nevertheless. And the reason that I have felt impressed upon the book of Joshua as a place for us to have our study 
is because Joshua, when he leads the Jewish people back into their promised land, will face a very hostile environment. He will face a very hostile environment of people who don't want him there and don't want the God that he represents there. And I think to myself that in somewhat of a similar way, I think that as Christians, we have to come to reckon with the fact that our culture and our society is becoming increasingly more hostile. The environment in which we live is becoming increasingly more hostile, where your faith as a Christian is being frowned upon, and your religious liberties as a Christian are being trampled upon. And we have to have an answer for this. I recently have been in conversation with Ken Starr. Some of you might remember Ken Starr, the former appellate court judge, former solicitor general of the United States who conducted the investigation that ultimately led to the impeachment of Bill Clinton. Former, He was also the former president of Baylor University. And uh, he wrote a book recently called Religious Liberty in Crisis, Exercising Your Faith in an Age of Uncertainty. And Judge Starr sent me a pre-published advanced copy of the book, and I've been talking to him about coming here addressing this issue because it is a real crisis that he writes about, religious liberty in crisis. And we have to learn to be people who are strong and courageous. Did you notice that phrase that in the first nine verses I read is repeated three times? We have to learn to be a people who are strong and courageous. There are times when God's people face obstacles that need God's strength and God's courage, both individually in our personal lives and corporately as believers who are increasingly facing hostile environments in the workplace. You know what I'm talking about? In society, in schools, on college campuses, etc., all because of our faith in Jesus and our biblical values. So, this is the background to the book of Joshua, and this is a major reason why I feel like this is, this is a good book for us to read. We must take back our land for Jesus. The progressive social agenda is not being silent. The politically correct and woke culture is not rolling over. Why should we? Now, I, I want to make it clear, I'm not advocating a violent takeover of our country by force. When Peter got a little out of control in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they were arresting Jesus, and he's wielding a sword and cutting off ears, you know, Jesus said, put your sword back. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. So, of course, I'm not advocating any kind of violent takeover. Jesus calls us as New Testament believers to be salt and light. That means we are to have a distinct flavor in our society, and we are to illuminate the darkness of our world. That's what he calls us to do. And we are not to ever stop being salt and light until Jesus comes. This is our, this is our calling. Now, that said, that said, this was a different time in the Old Testament. And Joshua was to take the land by force. 
And the book of Joshua presents an ethical question of war that I want to address before we go any further. Because we, we have to have a, a, a biblical perspective of things, otherwise this book is going to be difficult. And so when you realize that what God is actually saying to Joshua here as part of advancing into the promised land has to do with engaging in war and killing the nations that are occupying that land that God had promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob and their descendants, it presents an ethical question here. You know, why, why would God not only allow this, but why would God instruct Joshua to do such a thing? So in order for us to you know, be able to have a, a biblical understanding of that ethical question. I want to take you to a few places of the Old Testament. Again, this is just an introduction to the book of Joshua, but I have to lay the foundation for us before we can actually go much further. I want you to go back to the book of Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. And I want you to see the backstory to why the book of Joshua becomes a, a book that has a lot of war in it. In Genesis chapter 15, verses 12 to 16, this is what we read. Genesis 15, verse 12. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, that's Abraham, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And then he said to Abram, this is God speaking, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterward. They shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. All right, what does all that mean? So God speaks to Abraham here. This is about 2000 BC. This is about 550 years before Moses. And God predicts, because God knows all things, that Abraham, there's going to come a time when your descendants will be enslaved for 400 years. He spells it out right here, what I just read. For 400 years, and back in that day, a generation was 100 years, so he talks about four generations, 400 years, they will be enslaved in a nation that is not theirs. He's talking about Egypt. And he says, and then after the 400 years, I'm going to bring them out, and I'm going to bring them out with possessions, because if you remember the story of the Exodus, the Hebrew people plunder the Egyptians, the Egyptians willingly give them their gold and silver and jewelry, get out of here because they don't like the 10 plagues. So like, please take our jewelry, please. And basically it was back pay for all of their slave labor that they weren't paid for. And so it was just, and they leave with all these possessions and God predicts it right here with Abraham. Even before the nation of Israel is really birthed through the seed of Abraham, God makes this promise saying, let me tell you in advance, your descendants in generations to come will be enslaved by another nation for 400 years. And I'm going to lead them out with great possessions. But that last verse I just read there in verse 16 says, but in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. What is that talking about? When we understand what is happening in the Old Testament, if I can just thread the needle about some things here. When the Israelites vacated the promised land, the Canaanites or the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, these different tribal people took the land 
And God wanted to deal with them separately from the Israelites. And what he's saying here is that the full extent of their sin and rebellion has not yet reached the place of judgment. How long does God wait until he brings judgment upon them? 400 years. How long should God wait for you to get your act together? Is 400 years enough time? How much time is enough? And so for 400 years, God waits for the Amorites, for the Canaanites, for the people who occupy the promised land to surrender to him, and they don't. So go over to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Keep going to the right, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy chapter 7. And look at this first six verses. Deuteronomy 7 verse 1, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. Now here's his directive. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. You can pause there. The main reason why God wanted these nations to be destroyed was because he had waited 400 years. They had not turned. They were an idolatrous people. And God knew if my people, if the Jewish people, enter the land where there's all this idolatry, carved images, statues to foreign gods, they're going to corrupt the hearts of my people. And I can't allow that to happen. They have not turned for 400 years. So enough is enough. You must rid the land of them because in the process you have to rid the land of the false gods that they are worshiping lest they turn your hearts from the worship of me. And by the way, don't allow your sons or daughters to intermarry with them because they are a people who worship a foreign god. Now go over to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 10 to 18. Deuteronomy 20, verse 10. When you go near a city to fight against it. So he's giving them this instruction in advance. When you get into the promised land, he goes, when you go near a city to fight against it, then proclaim an offer of peace to it. And it shall be that if they accept your offer of peace and open to you, then all the people who are found in it shall be placed under tribute to you and serve you. Now, if the city will not make peace with you, but war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God delivers it into your hands, you shall strike every male in it with the edge of the sword. But the women, the little ones, the livestock, and all that is in the city, all its spoil, you shall plunder for yourself, and you shall eat the enemy's plunder which the Lord your God gives you. Thus you shall do to all the cities which are very far from you, which are not of the cities of these nations. But of the cities and of the peoples which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain 
alive, but you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. Let me put all these three passages together. God originally promised this land on oath to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When they vacated it because of the famine, over the next 400 years, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, all these different other nations, these people moved into that territory. And God gave them 400 years to repent of their idolatry, but they didn't turn to the Lord. So then when God brings his own people back to the land, he says, because these people have not turned in 400 years, they can't remain because all their idolatry is going to corrupt you and you are a holy people under the Lord. At the same time, he says, now, for your neighboring nations, make peace treaties. If they want peace, give them peace. You're not to just go in and indiscriminately start slaughtering everybody. Make peace where there's peace. But if they want war against you, then you fight. And I'll give you the victory. So sometimes when we think about, you know, war and, and people, it is, it's brutal. It's difficult. I get a lot of questions every time I do Q&A services about, you know, how come the God of the Old Testament seems to be slaughtering so many people? The God of the New Testament is such full of grace. Hey, it's not two different gods, okay? It's one single God, and he's, he's delivering a message that there is a limit to his patience. That is consistent Old Testament and New. You can't constantly just thumb a nose at God and think you'll always get away with it. There is a day of reckoning for every single one of us. God waited 400 years, and these people still didn't forsake their idolatry and turn to him. So he deals with them. If we don't forsake our ways, God deals with us too. He's provided a gracious way for us not to have to suffer the consequences for our own sins, which we do deserve. But nevertheless, he is a just and a holy God, and he will not tolerate the worship of other gods. He is a holy God, and he will not share his holiness with some false god or some false idol. And so God is going to deal with the people who occupy the land because for 400 years they never turned. And God is going to call Joshua to lead the people into that promised land and to take back the land that he had intended for them. Now, when we continue with this, we're going to go back through verses 1 through 9 that I just read. But I'll tell you this much, as you might have noticed when we read through it. God promises the Jewish people a land mass that is roughly 300,000 square miles from the Mediterranean to the Euphrates, which is in Iraq. Do you know that the Jewish people have never occupied that territory that God originally wanted them to have? Why is that an important thing? Because one of the major criticisms of Israel today is, you are occupying certain territory that doesn't belong to you. Really? Do you know all of Israel today is 8,130 square miles just a little over 8,000 square miles. That's it. It's smaller than the state of New Jersey. What God intended for them to have was over 300,000 square miles that would have included all of what on a map today is Israel, Jordan, bits of Saudi Arabia, 
Lebanon, Syria, Iraq. I mean, for people, when they say land for peace, that's what will secure peace. I'm like, well, that sounds good, but it's never worked and it isn't biblical. So we're going to talk about the territory itself. We're going to talk about how Joshua is called by God to be a man of courage and to be a man who is strong. We're going to apply this to our daily lives as we make our way through the book of Joshua. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message in the book of Joshua again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. While you're there, you'll notice our companion resources. These digital study guides give you some additional insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done. They are completely free for you to use. If this ministry continues to be a blessing to you and you want to listen to more teachings, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry out of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person, so come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today, so put a marker in your Bible right there in Joshua, and we'll plan to study the Word again next time. Thanks so much for listening to Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.